Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. As you're sitting here today, you're watching Christian television. Someone's witness to you. You're Satan's greatest tool is to go, you know, that person is speaking to you. They're right. Oh, that Billy Graham is a pretty good guy. That guy Greg Lloyd is a really good guy. That, that bomber, he said the truth today. But another day, just put it off. And the next time, just put it off. And, and just put it off. And pretty soon, there's no more putting it off because your heart's hardened. You're not interested anymore. Procrastination is huge for Satan's tools. Why would you ever wait to respond to the free gift of salvation provided to you by Jesus Christ? Today, Pastor Mark reveals the loving nature of God in the gospel message. He warns listeners of the enemy's attempts to delay their response to the call of Christ. Satan loves to make people think that they have years left in their life to accept Christ. Believers know that God numbers our days, not man. If Satan can get people to wait just long enough, he knows he is one. Eternal life is not something to put off. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in the book of Acts with part three of his message, Introducing Our Loving Personal God to Others. When Jesus taught about how to pray, he started it like this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in Good job. You got it. God, extra point. Just mark it down for him today. So where does God live today? He's in heaven. Is he related only? Is he bound only to heaven? Does he get a hall pass if he wants to leave heaven? Well, where else does God live? He's, by the way, he is everywhere. Let's take a look at this verse. Some of you don't know this. Many of you do. And I would expect an amen when I'm finished with this. So I'm just trying to warn you. Okay, here. Paul says this. Paul's writing this. Don't you know? Now, why would Paul say to Christians, don't you know? Because they didn't know. Some of you don't know. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, speaking about Christ followers, and that God's spirit lives where? Absolutely where? In you. Turn to your neighbor and say, with a smile, God lives in me. Come on. God lives in me. You mean the God that's in heaven lives in you? Absolutely. Do you know, we forget that. God, I need help. I don't know what to do. I got to find somebody to ask. I got to find somebody to ask God, where am I going? What's it going to be? Well, where is that? Right here. Relax. That's just God speaking to us to get your attention. (laughs) So when you think about that, how far is God from you? He's real close. In fact, he's near you. And you'll see Paul use that same illustration. So God isn't aloof. 
He's right with us. Now watch this. You know the principle I wrote. God not only lives in heaven, but he lives in you. Look at verse 25. And he is not served by human hands. That doesn't mean God doesn't like us serving him because that's all we really are, servants. What Paul's going to say is, it doesn't matter what you bring to these idols. Watch what God says again. He's not served by human hands as if he needs anything because he himself gives all men Life and breath and everything else. God is not dependent on man. God is totally self-sufficient. He created you and me, not because he had to, because he wanted a relationship. And that's why you and I exist. On the other hand, what am I? I'm totally dependent on God. Pastor Mark, I'm not really dependent on God. Okay, let's everybody take a breath right now. Here we go. (sighs) That's good. When God says you're done, (laughs) What's going to happen to that breath? It ain't no more. It's over. It's finished. Well, I'm not dependent. Yeah, I guess I am dependent on God. Yeah, because he gave you breath. When man was formed, man didn't become a spirit till God did what? (sighs) Breathe the breath of life into him. And when that's over, we've bought the farm. It's over. So we are dependent on God. You say, Pastor Mark, that's not biblical. John 15, without him, we're nothing. Don't become prideful. Don't become your own idol. Now, it's the goodness of God that provides us with everything in life. So here's what I want you to write down. God is the provider of everything. We should worship and we should thank him. We should worship and we should thank him. Now look at verse 26. This is so powerful. From one man, he made every nation of men. Now stop and look at me. From one man, he made every nation of men. So what does that say? Who are we all related to today? One man, who is that? Adam. Now, Adam, of course, died, and the whole earth was cleansed, except there was one other man that was left. Who was that? Noah, but he was in already created in the line of who? Adam. If everybody knew that we're all equal, God's made us all equal, In one image, his image, doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter where you're raised, doesn't matter your language, we're all equal. Could that make a difference in our world? See, prejudice would be what? Gone. But man doesn't get that. Well, you don't speak like me, your color isn't like me. No, that's not what, notice what Paul says. We're all equal. That's a huge principle, but our world doesn't get it. It doesn't matter where you come from. We're all made. We all go back to the same father, Adam, in the image of God. Now, let me read the rest of it. From one man, he made every, how many nations? Every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. Let's go back for a moment. When God created man, Adam sinned. And then the lines went on. They began worshiping right at the beginning. They worship God. And then all of a sudden, we have these people who are trying to build the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel purpose was to reach heaven and eliminate God. That was the whole goal. So as they're building this, God looks down from heaven. He goes, well, they're not worshiping me anymore. So what does he do? He absolutely changes all of their languages. So before, this guy would say, hand me a brick over here. 
Now he says to the Galvier, And guy said, Would you repeat that? What happened to the building? God is so smart, isn't he? He just stopped it. And then what did he do with those people? He scattered them where he wanted them around the world. So we have different languages, different cultures, all of this kind of stuff. Why? Because God says, you're not going to undo me, the creator. Careful. So here you say, well, Pastor Mark, where did this come from? Here is Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We got that one wrong too, but I don't have time to talk about that today. Male and female, he created them. What does that mean? If you were created a male, you're a male. If you were created a female, you're a female. That's enough comment. Now let's move on. Here's the next statement. You say, well, Pastor Mark, that isn't true. Read your Bible. God isn't confused. We're confused. And it's sad. God is the ruler. Write it down. All our campuses of everything. So I should worship and submit to him. Don't try to go on your own. Don't be the Tower of Babel. Don't you, Adam and Eve, we want to become God. We want to become like God. No, don't, no, forget it. He is God. We're his creation. Now, look at verse 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul's bringing another bridge again. Oh, I know what you guys believe. I know, I know what your poets, your poets have said. So as we shared last weekend, Paul says the same thing. When God created man, he put in man a search mode. And unless God resides in you, nothing satisfies us. We're always searching. We're searching for something. We don't even know what it is, but that search mode is there. A desire to know him, to find him, and to have a relationship with him. Now, men in Athens were using idols to fill that void. Doesn't matter what you put in there. It won't take the place of God. Now, how does God reveal himself? Paul says he, he, he reveals himself. How does he reveal himself? Number one, he reveals himself through our conscience. You were born with a conscience. Now, you can harden it. But a conscience means God's speaking to us. Some of you that aren't Christians, today God's already speaking to you at our campuses. What you're hearing, maybe for the first time, you can have a personal relationship. You were wrong, and that word is right. You mean I can actually have? And that conscience is saying you need to get right with God. That's a great thing. Second, how does he create? How does he uh, reveal himself? Creation. When you look up at the skies, and you see all this amazing thing, when you see different parts of the world, and you go... Thank you, God, for the Big Bang. I don't think so. Anything I've done with the Big Bang, you can't even understand what it looks like after I did the Big Bang. Do you know what I mean? Here's what I want you to write. God is your creator. He's not just the creator of the world. He created you in his own image. Worship God who wants to know you personally. He's not aloof. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only, listen, the only, listen, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You can know God personally and you know him through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul then says this. 
because all these images are being made. Brilliant people, skillfully designed. If you ever go to Thailand and and you go into some of their temples, the Buddha of gold is just incredible to look at. But watch what Paul says in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like, isn't this interesting? Is like gold or silver or stone. An image made by man's design and skill. So Paul says, think about it. You were created by the creator. God must be greater than his creation. So you're going to create an idol that represents God made by you since you were created? That makes no sense at all. God cannot be represented by some idol that we have made, no matter how skillful. They will all be lifeless, unapproachable, nothing to say to you, nothing to do for you, simply man-made idols. But what were they doing? Worshiping them when they couldn't receive worship. Verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent's a huge word. What's Paul saying? Repentance simply means this. Repentance means a change of your mind that results in a change of your living. It's not an event. So Paul's talking to these people, and he says, God calls on you to repent. What does he mean? Change your thinking about these idols. They can't help you. It doesn't matter how skillful they look. Well, fantastic. But they can't hear. They can't touch. They're not your creator. So you have to repent, God. I didn't know there was a true living God. I didn't understand that. I know it was made to worship, but I thought it was made to worship this. So we tried to do the best we could. God says, that's fine. I'm overlooking for a while. Not anymore. Not anymore. Jesus Christ came. You can have your sins forgiven. God's knowable. And I want you to forget worshiping them and worshiping me through Jesus Christ. So what is that going to cause? It says repent. It means turn face. I was walking this way. I'm worshiping idols. I'm, I'm into religion, but I'm not into a relationship with God. No, 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 repent. Get your thinking straight. And your thinking straight will mean your life will be straight. That's all he's saying. When Jesus came to the earth, right in the book of Mark, the first thing he says is repent of this dead religion and follow me. Repent. Just means that change. Now, why should I repent? Well, he gives a little challenge. Look at this challenge in verse 31. For he has set a day, God, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is that? Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a day that we're going to stand for in judgment. Jesus is our judge. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. These people didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that people could be resurrected. But Paul states it. See, in other words, when a person receives Jesus Christ, what happens to their sins? Since we're all sinners by nature and by practice, I'm not better than anybody else. How could I be better than anybody else? You're all equal. We all came from the same sinful father, Adam. But when I ask God to forgive me my sins, how does that happen? On that cross, Jesus took the sins of how many? Do you really believe that? See, the people outside this building that don't even believe it, did he, did he pay for their sins? He already did. All he's waiting for them is to do one thing, repent. 
Well, how will they know to repent if we don't share it with them? That's not the first thing you say. You don't walk up to somebody. You know, you're born a sinner and you need to repent right now. That's stupidity. By the way, that will turn them off and they won't listen to anybody else. Don't be stupid and smart. You think you're smart. That's foolish. Remember, some of you took a long time to come to Christ. It just took a long time. A lot of people sowing, a lot of whatever. And I just didn't pretty soon. Well, I think that's right. So be, be patient. Just be patient. So when, when we became Christians, our sins were already what? Nailed to the cross. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus died. So Paul says to them, you're going to be judged one day. But for a Christian, my sins have already been what? Judged. So when I get before heaven, I'm not judged for my sins because they've been already nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. That means I'm free this morning. And when you worship God and the blood ran red, but my sins were washed white. Wow. I didn't do that by being good enough. You can't be good enough. So who is Paul talking with the judge? Unbelievers. Every unbeliever who dies will face the same judge as we do. Different judgment, but they'll face the same judge, Jesus. Now, when I face Jesus, my sins have already been taken care of. But when an unbeliever faces Jesus, what will happen? They're going to be judged for their sins. But really, they're going to be judged for their sin. It's not about being a murderer. It's not be about being a, a, a rapist over and over again. It's not about uh, uh, taking kids and, and, and all the crazy stuff adults do with kids. What sin will separate me from God? One sin. Not believing Jesus Christ, which means I don't repent. Do you get it? You say, well, Paul, how can it be that narrow? Because the Bible teaches that. The only way to get to God is what? Through Jesus. He's the way the truth, and the life. If I reject that, there's no way, there's no truth, and there's no life. And I will be separated from God forever because my sins are still on me. Sin means separation, death forever, separated from God. So Paul brings them to a point. Now, they're going to have to make the decision. He brings them to this amazing point. Now, here's what I want you to write this morning. Christ follower, worship your God who has already judged your sins. He's already judged your sins. You can be excited about it. Vieira, Sebastian, all the rest. Now look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection, this is the key of the dead. You're going to see two reactions right here. Some of them sneered, but others said, well, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. It seems like from reading most commentaries that the crowd who were in control of Paul's teaching. Remember, he's, he's an outsider. They probably stood up and said this. Hey, Paul, that's enough. Don't want to hear anything more about this. We heard enough. We got enough to think about. So Paul didn't get to really finish his teaching about the resurrection of the dead. But these people had two reactions. This is what happens when we share the gospel. The first people, what did they do? They mocked. They mocked. They heard about, they sneered. Crazy resurrection of the dead. Jesus resurrected the dead. What are you going to fool? He says, that's the same reaction we have today. People just mock. Be careful. Be careful. Some of you might be in here in our campuses this morning, and you're mocking. That's right. You're talking about this God. There is no God. I'm going to say this very lovingly, kindly. God already knew that thought. You know what the Bible says? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Careful. 
Number two, we want to hear you again on this subject. What is that? It's past the buck. It's procrastination. Satan's greatest tool, as you're sitting here today, you're watching Christian television, someone's witness to you. You're, Satan's greatest tool is to go, you know, that person is speaking to you. They're right. Oh, that Billy Graham is a pretty good guy. The guy Greg Lloyd is a really good guy. That, that Balmer, he said the truth today. But another day, just put it off. And the next time, just put it off. And, and just put it off. And pretty soon, there's no more putting it off because your heart's hardened. You're not interested anymore. Procrastination is huge for Satan's tools. But look at verse... So, so far, let, let's just say, if you look at this, did Paul fail? Okay, you don't know how to answer that, do you? Well, these guys sneered. These guys say, put it off. Paul's a total failure. No, he's not a failure. He planted seed. The word of God never returns void. Pastor Mark, I invited this person. They made fun of me and didn't, and I failed. No, you lovingly invited them. Amen? Have realistic expectations. Everybody you talk to isn't going to come to Christ. It's okay. But later they can come because the truth has been sown in their life. Well, look what happens in verse 34. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a great number or a number of others. Now, would you call it, let, let's say only one people, person came to Christ that day. Is Paul a failure? No, because the heavens say that when, when one comes to Christ, the angels are going what? Hey, party, man, it's party. One came to Christ. Well, here we have three or four or others that came to Christ. See, so Paul didn't fail. When he wished all of those people came to Christ? Of course. But that's not his response. See, they had to choose. Some people believed, some people repented, became followers of Christ. Now, today our world doesn't understand the truths I presented to you today. They don't know that they were created in God's image. If you walk outside the door, outside the door of our campuses, they don't know that. They don't know that there's only one race. You know, there's only one race in our world. What race is it? It's the human race. That's it. And we're all alike. They don't know that God's alive and they can have a personal relationship. They have no idea that their sins have already been paid for. All they have to do is repent and believe. They certainly don't understand that God wants to do life with them. In him we live and move and have our being. They don't know. Now, you were not only created to worship him, but to love him, obey him, serve him. We watched Paul do something very interesting. He introduced people to a personal living God. That's what I've tried to do this morning. We see the responses of some sneering, procrastination, repenting and believing. What will your response be this morning? God not only lives in heaven, but God also lives inside every Christ follower. Today we learn from Pastor Mark that unlike idols, God is accessible, approachable, and knowable. These lifeless idols, no matter how skillfully designed, cannot represent God, nor are they appropriate for the worship of the living Creator. What do you find yourself worshiping today? Where you spend your time and money are great indicators of where your heart is. Maybe you're listening right now, and God has placed a certain person on your heart that needs to hear this message. Or maybe you'd like to share it with all of your friends. 
There's a simple way to share this message. Log on to Lessons for Living Radio and click on the radio program option in the main menu. There, you'll find the Lessons for Living media player. In the Messages tab, simply click on today's date. Then you can share today's message directly on your Facebook page, Twitter feed, or send a link via email. You can even embed today's message directly. Again, to share today's message with friends and family members, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Click on the radio program button, then simply click on today's date. You'll find all the options to share. How do you see the world? Do you see a need and have a heart for the people? In the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will show listeners how every Christ follower is teamed up with God. He's able to do much more than we can, but we still have a part. The Lord wants His followers to be active in prayer for the needs of this world and expect answers. He's always at work and inviting us to join Him in it. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Ballmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living and together, let's do life right. in a hurting world a new hope he is giving